Good morning and welcome to Five Alive. It is another beautiful day here in Mahali, Punjab. And today we are going to be reading from the book of John chapter 10. We're going to continue on with the parable that Jesus is talking about, where he's mentioning himself as the good shepherd. Uh, I broke this passage up into two parts because of how much information we gain about whom Jesus is, the person of Jesus is really brought out here in a couple of ways. Last week, we discussed him as the good shepherd. He is the one who feeds the sheep and makes sure they get water. He cares for them. He disciplines them. He grants them abundant life and safety. And the second thing Jesus described himself as is the door or the gate. Um, And this is the only way the sheep can enter going in or going out in order to gain abundant life, and Jesus is the door. These are very important attributes to Christ because so many people these days try and say that Jesus was just kind of a good teacher or he was a prophet, and yet Jesus is attributing himself oneness with God, and he's also saying there is no other way into the kingdom of God except through him when he mentions that he is the door or the gate. A few years ago, we had a opportunity to get a dog. It was a puppy. We named her Desi May. She was a good little dog. When we saw her, she was not in the best of shape. She was uh, looking rather sickly. She, she didn't have a lot of meat on her bones. She needed somebody to love her. In fact, we didn't even know if she would get povo or something like that that would end up killing her within the first 24 hours of having her. And Xavier and Addison, Mallory and Aisha, they all just kind of loved on the dog. Even Hannah was with us at the time, and she also loved on Desi May. And as a result of of purchasing Desi May and inevitably rescuing her. Uh, She became a very good dog, very healthy. She was an excitable dog. She was an avid part of our life for the nine to 10 months that we were able to have her before um, we had to shift and, and were not allowed to keep her anymore. However, I had a picture that I had posted on Instagram and somebody had commented on it. Oh, that's so sweet that you rescued a dog. And I didn't mention that we had rescued Desi May. I just had a picture of us with Desi May and somebody commented and they had jumped to some conclusions. Then they DM'd me and in the DM they said, that's so cool that you rescued the dog. Is it a street dog? And I said, no, it's not a street dog. It is a dog that we purchased um, from a shop. And as a result, the dog was not being well taken care of. So, I mean, if you want to say that we rescued Desi May from death, which she was more than likely definitely going to die within the next 24 hours had she not come to our house, uh, then yeah, you can say that we rescued her. The person then began to criticize me in my DM saying, I can't believe you did that. You should have rescued the dog from the street. You should never buy from a store like that because they're just trying to make profits and money off of it. And they just had this whole opinion of, who should be rescued, how they should be rescued, and the situation or the circumstances of a dog's rescue in this situation. Now, I just am curious, do these things really matter? If this dog who became Desi May to us, if this dog was a street dog and we took her in, or if we purchased her from a store, or if we got her from somebody else, some family, 
And she became our, does it matter where the dog came from as long as the dog who was inevitably about to die was loved into life by the love of Xavier, Addison, Mallory, and Aisha, and Hannah, and Blair, and myself. If that is the overall result, does it matter where the dog came from? No. No. So why do we make such opinions? You know, people make opinions because that's what they're passionate about at that point in time in their life. It's a cause. It's a whatever's on the trend. People take up that cause and put it upon themselves to, hey, we need to rescue our street dogs. Oh, yeah, that sounds good because I can do that. And so if I can do that, then anybody can do it. You know, let's stop buying from local markets and let's rescue the street dogs because it's what's popular. It's what's trendy. But there's a consequence when you are rescuing a street dog because they're fighters and they're and so it takes a lot of discipline in disciplining that street dog not to bite. So when you're out walking your street dog, the immediate response is they either shy away from you and or they grill with the mouth and then growl mm -hmm. and they want to bite. And then the owner's like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's a street dog. And then because it's a street dog, we're to have more compassion for that owner who rescued that dog. And give that dog the benefit of the doubt. But if you have a domestic dog, well, then your dog should be well-trained and it should know better. So let's take this conversation and put it into people's pers the perspective of people. Does it now matter? And the, sa the same things come to, to fruition, don't they? We look at people and we make an objective opinion of, oh, you obviously went to English medium school because your English is so good. And then your response is, no, I went to Hindi medium school. It was in plus two that I started doing English. But how is your English so good? People make these assumptions about us, don't they? Mm -hmm. Yes. And Jesus is talking about these kinds of assumptions right here in this passage of scripture where he's describing himself as the good shepherd and people are having a hard time understanding what he's talking about. They're having a hard time following him and the teaching and the authority of which he's speaking with because he is trying to bring things out into the reality of the way we live our lives today. And he's saying, don't just be trendy. Follow me and everything that I do and the trends that come and go, they're going to come and go, but you will always be on point if you are a follower of me. People today are no different than the people of Jesus's day. People are no different today than they were of Moses's day back 7,000 years ago. People are the same. We make our opinionated judgments and then we live our lives accordingly. And so I want to kind of discuss what the Bible says here in John chapter 10 verses 11 through 19 with that in mind. And so Xavier, if you'll read for us uh, these nine verses of scripture. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For the reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. 
No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was a di again a division among the Jews because of these words. This is the word of the Lord. So first, I want to talk about the hired hands that we have here mentioned by Jesus. He brings them up and says, these are the people that are hired and yet they are not always fully vested in the care of the sheep. Who do you think Jesus is describing here? The Pharisees. The Pharisees, okay. And what type of character or characteristic traits do they have when he's describing them, saying that they are like a hired hand? He's saying whenever trouble comes, they'll run away and not help out their fellow sheep. <laughs> Their fellow men, instead of leading them and laying down their life for the Jews, they would instead flee and do their own thing. Like they'd make an arrangement with whoever the conquering nation that comes in, they would, yes. so that that way they would get a uh, better position in that. A better position, yeah. Okay, sure. Any other thoughts? Okay, I see that, absolutely. And I also see that they want to profit off of God or off of the good shepherd. This is... A hired hand is somebody that the owner of the company chooses to hire, and so therefore they are brought into the company so they know them and they have chosen them, and the only purpose of that person is to make money off of the company. That's their only role. They don't have, uh, we would call it buy-in. They don't have buy-in to the company fully vested like the owner is because the owner has put up their own money. They put up their own ideas. They put up their own uh, collateral, maybe even mortgaging their house or putting up their land, selling land in order to buy a business. Uh, in these regards, hired hand, these are the type of people that Jesus is talking about. Those who uh, lose nothing if the sheep is lost or is killed. Like that doesn't, that doesn't hurt them because the person it hurts is actually the shepherd, the head shepherd, the, the owner of, of everything. So thinking about these things, we also see that these are people, hired hands, are people who are self-consumed. They are people who only care about themselves. They could care less about the sheep. They, could, they only care about what the shepherd thinks of them, if it's going to benefit them for a pay raise or for being able to have a higher position in the company, these kinds of things. And so in this realm of life that we're talking about right here, we have hired hands that are in the kingdom of God. God has chosen them. They've come along. So the Pharisees and Sadducees, are they chosen or are they not chosen? This is who we said that these people are, is the Pharisees. So were they chosen by God or not? They were, weren't they? I believe they yes. were. Absolutely. Uh, the hired hands are also who Jesus is warning about. He's warning us about them, yet he knows them. I think about this in, in a couple of different ways, because at some point, strategically, Jesus, or the Good Shepherd, may have even trusted the hired hand to accomplish a specific task, and that hired hand did it. But when the enemy, the wolf, the bear, comes in to try and take the sheep, that's when the hired hand says these kinds of things. They have this type of mentality. Well, that's not my job description. I don't get paid enough to put up with this kind of stuff. I got to think about myself. I've got a family. I've got kids. And so there's no way I'm going to put myself in harm's way in order to protect this 
guy, this shepherd, this rich man stuff. I'm just a poor little hired hand. And so therefore, why would I put my life at risk for them? These are the kinds of thoughts that hired hands have. Mm -hmm. These are the types of thoughts that unfortunately men and women of the faith even have, even when they are in a position of reverence of being a pastor or a prophet or any of these kinds of things. And we know that because we can look through the Bible and we can see men who were prophets that were chosen by God, God trust entrusted them with a task. And yet at the end of the story, we still see that they are no different than they were when the first part of the task was given to them. I'm thinking about the prophet Jonah. Jonah was given a task to go to Nineveh and to preach and when he was to preach is that the kingdom of God is at hand, that they are doomed to death and destruction if they don't repent. And Jonah's reaction when he hears from God is to run away. And he runs the opposite direction of where Nineveh is. And so while he's, instead of going towards Iran, Iraq area, instead he goes, tries to go towards Italy and he doesn't go by land. He gets into a ship and tries to go that direction. And when he's in the ship, a big storm comes along. They, they by divination, these uh, uh, Navy merchants decide to uh, pray and, and ask their gods, who is the cause of this? And the result comes back that it's Jonah. They gamble for his life. They gamble. They say, okay, they cast lots. They gamble. And, and so then Jonah says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to throw me overboard. And... I don't know that Jonah is thinking God's going to rescue me in this moment. I don't know that he's just thinking, hey, I, I quit. God, you wanted me to do something. I didn't want to do it, so I'm just going to end my life here. I don't know what his exact thoughts were, but I do know that he's thrown into the water. And as a result of being thrown into the water, the wind and the waves die down, the storm goes away. And we're told in the first chapter of Jonah that the men then worship God, Yahweh, they begin worshiping the Jewish God and they proclaim him as the true God over their false gods that they worshiped before. Jonah is then plunging down towards the bottom of the sea and a big fish comes along and swallows him up. And in there, he's praying inside of this belly of this fish and he decides, I'm going to go to Nineveh. And the whale vomits him up. He goes to shore. He walks into Nineveh. He preaches. And as a result of his preaching, the Ninevites repent. But the story doesn't stop there. The story continues on that then Jonah goes and sits on the top of a hill nearby the city and watches waiting for God's destruction to come because he wanted to see the people destroyed. He wanted to see their destruction. He wanted to see them wiped off the face of the earth and God allows a plant to grow. And that plant grows and Jonah doesn't do anything to care for it. He doesn't water it. He doesn't weed, you know, get the weeds away from it or anything like that. And this plant grows and gives him shade from the sun. And then God allows a worm to come along and it eats the plant and the plant goes away. And Jonah gets upset at God because the plant is destroyed. And yet he is also upset at God that he hasn't destroyed the people. And God says, aren't they worth more than that plant was? And that's where Jonah ends. That's where the story ends. And this shows us that we can be just like the hired hand. We can be a people that allow our own 
comfort and benefits to outweigh those of God. Yes, Mallory. Do you want to know what happened to him? He died on the rock waiting for them to die. When does the Bible say that? It's joking. (laughs) 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 The worm came and ate his body too. (laughs) Ate him alive. (laughs) Oh my. So they, the hired hands, they leave their duty and their responsibility and the sheep can be killed and or scattered. So I just am curious, are hired hands villains? No. Not all of them, them. no. Like it's a strange question to ask, but yet we villainize people who we look at as hired hands, don't we? Yeah. I mean, we even villainize the Pharisees whenever some of the time they didn't even do anything wrong. Like some of the Pharisees would go and they were told to go and question Jesus. They'd go and question him and then they'd realize Jesus was right. But we blamed the Pharisees for questioning Jesus. How dare you do that? You awful hypocritical Pharisees and all this other stuff. But in reality, they came to the realization of Christ being the Messiah. Some did. Absolutely. And we don't talk about that. Because they also hid themselves from being known because they were scared of what the Jews would do to them and other Pharisees. For a time, they did not allow themselves to be equated with Jesus as his disciples. That's correct. Which is what I'm coming to, which is the point of whose tomb was Jesus buried in? Joseph of Arimathea. And he was a? Pharisee. And Nicodemus also came and helped bury him. And Nicodemus, who was a? Pharisee. Also came and helped bury him. So what I'm trying to bring out is the fact that we've got to be very cautious with villainizing people because they are seen as a hired hand. Jesus is warning us about the hired hands. He's not condemning them to death, hell, and the grave. He's just saying, be cautious. There are people that are hired hands and pay attention. Like be aware of this fact. And then Jesus also talks about, I am not that kind of person. There are hired hands. There are pastors and prophets and teachers that I have sent before that are hired hands. There are people today that are hired hands, but they don't deserve the glory. They don't deserve the honor. They don't deserve the praise that is due my name is what Jesus is trying to bring out to us. Because when times get tough, they're just going to leave you in the dust. Exactly. That's exactly right. And how often we see this happen, you'd think that we would be awakened to this as the church body, that we would recognize when this pastor falls from grace, we call it, when they have made a mistake, they have fallen into temptation, and then all of a sudden we're hurt as people as if that person was the devil themselves out bent on destruction of our lives, but the person was just a hired hand. Mm -hmm. And what we did as a people was we started praising them as if they were God and took our eyes off of who Jesus is, and we started worshiping a man and not Jesus himself. And, and we can become very guilty of this. I, I've heard in the church world within the past 20, 30 years, people doing this in different areas. And then all of a sudden, well, that pastor did this. I can't trust. Now I can't trust church people is the way people react. And that's not a godly way to react because you took your eyes off of Jesus and put them on another man. Now you're all of a sudden blaming God for what you chose to do. 
It's our turn to take account of these words of Jesus and repent of putting other people on a pedestal and start looking directly to Jesus. Jesus is not a hired hand. He then foreshadows in verse 15, the night of his crucifixion. He, he talks about this in a way that he talks about laying his life down and he says that he's going to be crucified and he also kind of hints at the fact that there's going to be a betrayer who is a hired hand. His name is? Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. Not one of the other five Judases that were <laughs> Sure, sure. But Judas Iscariot, was he known by Jesus? Yes. Yeah. Is he trusted by Jesus? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is he trusted by the other disciples? Yes. What is his job? He carries the money. He carries the money. He's got this responsibility of taking care of the funds. And yet he is a hired hand. Jesus fulfills his responsibility as Messiah. And he dies for his people. Whereas the hired hand, Judas, is a coward and takes his own life. This is the parallel that Jesus is trying to point out to us. And so I, there was, there's a passage of scripture that Jesus is also referencing. It's found in the book of Isaiah, uh, verse 53. I'm just going to read it and then open it up for any comments and questions or things that I've missed in this, these first couple of verses. Isaiah 53, verse 1, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is a description of who Jesus is and what he's going to do that is no different than the description that Jesus is giving to us as the good shepherd who will lay down his life for his sheep. Next, I want to look at Jesus's power, his authority that he has. He talks about this in verses 15 through 18. And really, he talks about his power and his authority throughout this whole passage of scripture. But notice these um, phrase, phrases that he uses. I hold the power to lay down my own life. Jesus's life was not going to be taken from him. This passage of scripture I just read from Isaiah 53, or even if we go further along in the book of John to Jesus's crucifixion, we have the men, people today have the mentality, they, they've heard about who Jesus is, they've heard, heard about what a Christian is, but they've not read the Bible. They have this mentality that Jesus's life was taken from him, that People got upset at him and they they put him up, they beat him up, they put him up on a cross, and he died. And it was the people who had charge over Jesus. And yet Jesus, before his death, is already saying, 
Nobody takes my life from me. I voluntarily lay my life down. He is not murdered. The crucifixion is his choice. And how can we see this as a voluntary act? That he would allow himself to die. In other words, what I'm saying is, is did the people try and kill him before he was actually crucified? No. Yes, they did. Well, they had plotted to, but they never went through with it. They Because it was not the time yet. The crowds came after Jesus oh, just a couple yeah. of verses ago to try and kill him, and yet he hid himself from them. Because it wasn't the time yet. Because it wasn't yet his time. Because who takes his life? No one. He lays his life down. And in fact, if you continue to follow this passage of scripture, and if you continue to follow this teaching of what's coming up in John chapter 10, you'll see that the people in just a couple more verses attempt to try and kill Jesus again, and yet they can't because it's not yet his time to die. So Jesus voluntarily lays his life down. There are four times recorded in the book of John in which Jesus' life, the people try and take it from him, but yet Jesus is, hides himself because it's only upon the appointed time, the time that God has appointed for him, that he will then lay his life down of his own free will. Jesus holds the power to voluntarily lay down his life. No one is going to take it from him, which is a secondary part of what he does, is that he holds the power not only to lay down his life. This is not a suicidal thing. This is an actual, I lay down my life for the sacrifice of the world, the redemption of the world, and the redemption of people, my sheep. He also holds the power to be risen from the dead. Have you ever heard of somebody raising themselves from the dead? No one has ever rose themselves from the dead. Did Jesus in a miraculous state raise somebody else from the dead? Yes. Yes, but not himself yet. No. Did Elijah raise anybody from the dead? No. Yeah, yeah, he did. In the Old Testament, prophet Elijah rose, uh, prayed for a boy and he had died and he rose from the dead. Did the Apostle Paul pray for somebody who had fallen out of a window and he had died on the ground? And did that boy rise from the dead? Yes. 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 But did they live for all eternity in this bodily state that they were, they were raised from the dead under? No. No. Jesus is saying, I have the power to die under my own authority and I have the power to raise myself from the dead. Nobody can take it from me. In fact, Jesus is going to be in a new body after he dies on the cross and is rose from the dead three days later. But yet that new body that he's given is still a body that the disciples recognize. It's a new body. It's not the one that he died in, but it is one that is still given to him by himself so that that way he then can help us to be risen from the dead if we believe in him, because remember, he is the gate. He is the door. He is the only way to go in, to come out, and to receive abundant life. So when we die on this earth, we are then going to be rose from the dead, and we are going to be given a new body. So Jesus emphasizes this fact that no one has the power to take Jesus's life. No one. Not the Romans not the high priests or the Pharisees and Sadducees, not a mob, not the devil, 
No one has the power to take Jesus's life from him. From him, he lays it down voluntarily. Freely, his life is given for us, his people, and the redemption of the world. Christ's death and resurrection is bigger, therefore, than my personal salvation. I'm going to say that again. Christ's death and resurrection is bigger than my personal salvation. I want to say that twice because it's so important for us to recognize that God's bigger than us. We're not the Savior. We're not the Savior. We're not the only ones that get redeemed. He came for the redemption of the world. And again, we're not just talking about people when he says to redeem the world. We're talking about the mountains and the rocks and the animals and the seas and the climate. We're talking about all of these things. He came for the redemption of the world. The Bible then continues to talk about the fact that this world will come to an end, and so therefore he will bring us into a new heaven and a new earth. That is the redemption. That is the new body that this world will get. We get a new body when we die. These bodies we have right now are like seeds. They will be cast into the ground, and we will be risen up if we believe in Jesus, given a new body, just like the seeds that of the plants that are around us are cast into the ground in one form, and they come out in another they're still identified with what they used to be, and yet they have a new bodily form. The same is true with eternal life for us. The same is true for this world. This world will be given a new rebirth. The heavens will be given a new rebirth. That is what the day of hope and praise and peace that we have to look forward to. I have a couple of questions, and I hope these make sense. To hear people describe Jesus as just a good teacher, how does that measure up with John chapter 10? It can't measure up because it's not true. It's not true. Jesus in John chapter 10 says, I am the good shepherd. I am God. I am the creator. I am the one that is in charge of you. So he's not just a good teacher, is he? Mm -hmm. To hear people say that Jesus was just a prophet, but not God. How does that weigh in on the seal of truth, which we have in light of this passage. Still doesn't hold true because he says he's God. He claims it. I mean, later on, he'll even say before Abraham was, I am. Right. Claiming he was there. He is, I am. Right. To hear people say Jesus's life was taken from him and what an awful belief system Christianity must be. I mean, how can you trust a God who would require his own son to die? Is that an uneducated statement of belief in light of what we are studying today? Absolutely. So can read the Bible people. <laughs> That's something that a 16-year-old would say. <laughs> But what I'm saying is, is as we are studying, as we are showing ourselves approved, as we are seeing the truth of whom Jesus is through the reading of his scripture, and if you followed us for any length of time on this podcast, you know that we are not just jumping around from topic to topic, but we're exegetically looking through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because Jesus didn't say to go into the world and make Christians. He said, go into the world and make disciples. And the best way to do that is by looking at the word of God in an orderly and perspective way. And so what I 
am encouraging all of us to do is to continue to study the Bible, continue to see who Jesus is in light of who he says he is himself. And so when Jesus says things like, I have the authority to lay down my life, in other words, to die, and I have the authority to take it up again, in other words, to live beyond death, what do you think of that as a person? How does this comfort you or how does this bring questions and doubts? How does this, how does this affect you whenever we read these words of Jesus? Jesus is truthful. He, he stands on his promises and his promises are always true. They're always yes and amen. Mm. And you can find that if you seek out the scriptures personally, because God is relational. Christ Jesus is relational. He comes to one. He's going to the one, like just as the previous scripture with the blind man, Jesus went to him, one. It wasn't like, hey, buddies, let's all gather around together. All right, today a miracle is going to happen. <laughs> no, he went to the one, spat on that clay, right? pushed it onto the eyes, and says, go dip. Go dip in that water over there, and you will be healed. And then we, as people go, but then where was Jesus after that? Well, where was Jesus after that? Well, Jesus was preparing the way for what was to follow. Jesus is always one step ahead of us. He's always preparing the way when he comes to that one. And when our eyes are open, when that blind man's eyes were open, not only physically, spiritually, mentally, what an awakening to go, Whoa, I can see. Hmm. But yet in the heart going, I know the one who helped me to see. Yeah. I've discovered I can see. And it wasn't like his first instance. I mean, I think about the blind man, you know, what well, well, if I could ever see, well, I'm gonna tell these Pharisees what I think of them. I'm gonna go and find this person that I've been listening to for months on end and going to go reprimand them for all the hurtful things that they've called me and and lamb blasted me and how they've treated my family. I'm gonna I'm gonna go and tell that person that's been kicking me off to the side and going, You stupid blind guy, you know, you're just so stupid, you lazy bum. You know, those were not his first reactions. No. So that shows his care for others. When, when others ask Christ Jesus, when someone asks Christ Jesus into their heart, their first concern is other people. Hmm. And I got to share this with other people. Yeah. Because something has happened so much in my life. I need to share this with others. But one but when we see people who come to salvation, who ask Christ Jesus into their heart and their, as their personal Lord and Savior, and sometimes their reaction is, I'm going to keep this to myself. And then we as people of the body of Christ can question going, did they really have a salvific moment? Yeah. Because when you're keeping things to yourself or how can I make this a money scheme or how can I make this a, a money maker? Uh, Xavier was just telling me that there was a, a, a famous actor that's wanting to grow marijuana and make money off of it. Well, marijuana grows freely. Mm. It grows freely. It's free. But yet mindset of, man, I can make money off of this. 
go with me in my mind of thinking of mm -hmm. Christ Jesus, the gift is free. Yeah, it comes with a price. Absolutely. And it comes with up to us truly seeking out the scriptures, truly seeking out the one whom we have fallen in love with, yeah. who has already loved us because he's already come to us. And he's the truth sayer. He's the truth teller. And there are these false hirelings, so to say, that come into play. Like, if you give me 500 rupees, then I promise you this month you will have prosperity. If you give me 1,000 rupees, then there will be no COVID in your family. If you give me, you know, and the, and the amount can increase and increase and increase, or if you'll take your picture with me, then I promise you half of the proceeds will go to you. There's exploitation. Yeah. If you'll just share your story with me, and behind the scenes, I'm making money off of your story that isn't even my story to share. Yeah. These are false. Hirelings. Hirelings that are coming in that are so destructive mm. that if our eyes are blinded and going, oh, yeah, that's the person I want to follow. Oh, yeah, that's the person I want to be like. Well, so-and-so and so-and-so -and -so say that that's a great person to follow. And I, if I keep giving him my money, then maybe one day it might happen. Well, it didn't happen this month, but maybe next month. Well, maybe next month that might happen. And how long, how many years have been wasted right. that you keep handing yourself over to this person when the truth is right there in front of you? Yeah. We've got to separate out the false teachings yes. and embrace the truth. And there's no other truth like Christ Jesus. Mm. He says he is good. When I read Genesis and I see how God created man and even how he created woman, and he saw that was good. Right. And then here we have the good shepherd. Mm. He's good. If we see our value as good, if we look up that definition of good, it's an incredible definition. Yeah. And that's how God sees us. That's how God values us. But then when I go into the world and I'm hired in by a company and they see me as, well, you're given your best effort. Well, you can't ever achieve five stars because no one's ever that perfect. <laughs> You know, yeah, you're trying to give your best, but you can be better. Hmm. You know, your markings may not be as high. You know, you may be wanting to achieve that 100% and your markings are at 88%. You, there's always room for improvement. And I always love the fact with God, I'm valued in his eyes. Yeah. No matter what percentage I am. Even if I'm not 100%. He completes it to 100%. Right. He's there consistently. And that's like, okay, these people may not see me as good, perfect, whatever. That's okay. Because it's not their opinion that I'm going and seeking after. Hmm. One truth sayer in my life that I need is Christ Jesus. Yeah. And that's, that's daily. That's a consistent thing. Not I have not been perfect on that in life. But boy, do I strive every day mm. to recognize the truth in Christ Jesus. Because it's easy to get caught up in the trends. It's yeah. easy to get caught up in the hearsayers and the, hey, follow me. If you mm. give this amount or, you know, if you stop 
eating this sugar, then God will be better to you. You know, if you seek a God bod, then God will be closer to you. And it's like, what's a God bod? <laughs> what's a Genesis revelation? What's a what? Like, I can't even keep up with the trends. There's so many. Yeah. And there's so many false prophets out there yeah. that are saying, hey, come follow me. And may my ears and my heart be in tune with my master's voice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any other comments or discussion? You need to go along with reading the Bible. <laughs> Read the Bible, people. Um, I mean, even what mommy's saying is that we're warned of these people, the false prophets. They're also known as antichrists. And they may look like normal humans to you, and they're not like the overall antichrist, but they want a following. They don't want you to follow Jesus. Right. And with that, that is already antichrist-like. Hmm. Because you're not, say, you're not teaching people to follow Christ. You're teaching people to follow you. Hmm. Saying it's Christ. Making yourself one with God, even though you are not. You are just a human. Hmm. And we listen to them, but we also need to read our Bibles every day and pray and listen to the Holy Spirit and receive understanding and realize whenever there is a false teaching and not listen to that false teaching, but actually discover the truth which God has said. And instead of, well, that may have been wrong, but it's okay because he's popular and everybody likes him. So he must be saying something good. And instead of ignoring when you do see the signs of them being wrong or false teaching, you should stand up for your beliefs in Christ. Yeah. And help and lead others to acknowledge the Bible and that it's actually correct over what this man says. Yeah. And that person may even try and use scripture against you. Hmm. And that's not the right way to go about it. Right. Because even the devil does that, right? Exactly. Just going to briefly touch on the fact that in verse 16, Jesus says that he has other sheep of another fold. In other words, not every sheep that Jesus is the good shepherd over is Jewish and in the hearing of his voice when he's speaking this. Not every sheep that Jesus is talking about is from Israel or from Asia or Africa or near a seaport or from Europe. Not every single person that's going to be in Jesus's sheepfold is brown skinned, brown eyed with brown hair as those that he was speaking to of that day. But there are going to be people that have black skin and what we call today yellow skin or white skin or brown skin or red skin, hair colors of every single type, eye colors of every single type, education of every single type. He has sheep that are of other sheepfolds that he is going to gather together and there's going to be one flock and he is the one shepherd. In today's world, our politics try and polarize people, people's opinions create arguments that then separate one person from another person. Wars divide people in accordance with whose side are you on. Money fractures relationships between the poor and the rich and the middle class. 
resources and covetousness tears people apart because I want what so-and-so has, and it's not fair that I don't have it. These are all the ways of the world, and these are all the divisions that come in order to try and keep people from following Jesus and from being a part of that one sheepfold. But Jesus says he goes and he's going to gather all sheep, all his sheep. There will be one flock and he will be that one shepherd. This is very important for us to recognize today, September 2020. It's important for us to recognize that in this world that has become such a haven for hatred, hate speech, you don't agree with me, so therefore I can't like you. You looked at me funny, so therefore I don't like you. These are not the ways of Christ. These are the ways of the world. And to think that we're going to achieve some kind of utopia through teaching and education, through a gathering and some kind of specific religious festival or even the polar opposite of that within the liberal rights of, well, we're all free, we all have our bodies and we can do whatever we want to with our bodies. And so we can be our own free people. That's not going to help us achieve utopia either. These are all worldly things. These are all fracturing things. And Jesus is wanting us to see that he is the good shepherd that is the unifier. He is the one that brings peace. He is the one that brings care and hope in a future. No government can do that. No person on this earth can do that. We can only find those luxuries in Christ in Christ alone. Does that mean that our lives are going to be free of any kind of harm or trouble or problems? No. Absolutely not. But with Christ, we have hope for that new creation, that new heaven and that new earth. Lord, this week, help me to meditate on the power and authority that you possess. May I recognize your greatness. May I also see that because you are great, I am also a creation of great value, power, and authority. Guide me to not take advantage of others, but to honor both you supremely and my neighbor lovingly. Mallory, will you pray? Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day and that we will all be safe, and that we all wear our masks and wash our hands very constantly, and that um, the coronavirus will s stop spreading everywhere, and that everyone will stay safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.